Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello again, Cove Church. Happy summer to you. I'm so glad to continue our series uh, today, a series we're calling Table Talk, just operating from this premise that good things happen around tables. And today we get to talk about the table of transformation. I don't know about you, but uh, summertime always reminds me of how much I love a good road trip. It always happens in the summer, it seems like. And I think the best part of a summer road trip is not what goes right, but what goes wrong. Uh, it's, it's the journey getting there that you always remember. I can remember driving to a place in Idaho when the kids were a little bit younger, quite a bit younger, and uh, it was a very winding road, and so Isaac was not having it, and he began to throw up, and he threw up every 10 minutes for like two hours. We would just pull over. It just got to be so normal, like, yep, throw up, okay, let's go another 10 minutes, pull over, throw up. It was like that. That was the way we went the entire way up these winding roads in the mountains. And then, to top things off, I, I recall watching a small animal come out in front of the truck ahead of us as I was following. He made it under that tall truck, and I looked at him, and he was a skunk, and he was like, wow, I made it, I survived. And it was that very skunk that I nailed, right, in our back tire, exploding skunk smell into our vehicle. So now we've got vomit on one side, skunk on the other and we make our way into the town we're supposed to be staying in. It's dark, it's nighttime, we were far later than we thought we were going to be, and of course we get pulled over by a police officer because we had so much loaded in our truck, in our trunk, that our car was elevated. He thought our brights were on. They weren't, we were just elevated, pointing upward. And he came over to me and said, hey, how's it going? And I said, officer, can you smell that? That's how it's going. We got vomit on one side, skunk on the other. That's how it's going. That's a road trip. So it's always the journey that, that can be a lot of fun. But then there's the lodging of a road trip that can be the stuff of memory. Uh, those, those times when the lodging doesn't quite match up to the pictures on the internet. I remember I was once so excited to go on this trip with friends. And I, was, I told him, I, I've, I've managed to get us a suite for a really, really good deal. It's a big, big room, big suite. It's going to be so fun to stay there. It's going to be so great. Look at these pictures. It looks terrific. We got there, and, and the bedding was so stained, we thought that someone from CSI was going to show up at any moment. And it was so bad that we didn't even sleep in the beds. We slept on the floor because we believed it to be cleaner. It was a rough, rough time. Strangely, nobody lets me pick the places we stay anymore. But I do know this. Those easy drives, those pleasant stays at clean, normal, uneventful hotels, those kinds of trips, they are not the stuff of memory. No, the stuff we remember is the rugged places, those crazy stories, those I can't believe that happened kind of moments. That's the stuff that makes us smile. That's the stuff that makes a dent in our lives. That's the stuff that makes a memory. That is the stuff that changes us. And that's the real trick, 
right? Because we don't change that easily. And there is a part of us in life that I think just wants to say, hey, this is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. That's just how it is. I'm locking it in. Yet it is the unexpected that snaps us out of that. Story after story in Scripture reveals this. People who encounter Jesus in ways they didn't expect, but because of that, they changed in ways they couldn't imagine. It gives us hope. Hope that whoever I am today does not mean I will have to be the same tomorrow. And so it is that process of change, that process of transformation that we come to in our Table Talk series today. In fact, the story we look at starts in a unique place. It starts in a tree, but it ends at a table. And that table becomes a place of transformation. Our leading character is a man named Zacchaeus, who, as we will read, literally met Jesus in a very challenging place, but then experienced transformation with Jesus at the table. Now remember, good things happen around a table. That's what happened here. So today we're going to gain some lessons from Zacchaeus in how Jesus guides us into transformation, how Jesus changes us. And the first thing I would mention is this, we are changed through a new perspective. Let's uh, look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. That's where we read today. Let's start right where you are. Big voices Go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Two important truths we see here. The first is that Zacchaeus had a potential limitation, but it's also that Zacchaeus had a powerful invitation. Yes, he had a potential limitation, but he had a powerful invitation. Jesus is passing through. Jesus is on the road. Jesus is coming that way, but Zacchaeus couldn't see him. Why? Why couldn't he see him? Well, it's because he was vertically challenged. Let's say he was compact. He was diminutive. He was squatty, stumpy, stubby. He was munchkin-esque. Zacchaeus was short. He had a limitation that was attempting to keep him from seeing Jesus. There was something in his life that set itself up as a barrier between him and Christ. And guess what? That's true for every person. All of us have places and pieces in our lives that actually try to stand up and be in the way of our relationship with God. These are the barriers. These are the challenges. These are the limitations. It's that ingrained addiction. It's that unhealthy attitude. It's that misplaced identity. It's that need to be needed. It's that upbringing that tells you you've got to do it on your own if it's ever going to happen. Those words that were spoken over you and to you that you cannot seem to shake. These are the barriers. And those things want to become a limitation in our ability to see Jesus. And the tragedy is, it often works. 
We tell ourselves, I, I can't really fully follow Jesus because I've got this in my life. I've got this going on. I've got this label that's been spoken over me. I, it's just different for me. I've got this history. I've got this diagnosis. And we let those things create a distance, a barrier between us and Jesus. And we say, sorry, Jesus, I'm just too overwhelmed to come to you. And we lose our lifeline and we wonder why it feels like we're drowning. Trials should not drive us from Christ. They should drive us to Christ. That's the invitation. Recently, Paul and I, uh, we changed the space in our closet, not to, just to be a place for clothes, but it's also a prayer space. It's really a crying out to God space. Um, there's you know, doors into the closet, and that's on the side of our bathroom, inside of our bathroom. So there's lots of doors, so you can, you can be loud. You can cry out to God in, in a loud way in that place and not feel like it's going to be weird for other people in the house. And there's something about creating a space where you go to cry out to God. Here's the question, do you have that space? Because we need a space. Do you have that, that place in your life that you go to cry out to God? See, we must never allow our limitations to keep us from God's invitation. What's God's invitation? Here it is, come and be found. Zacchaeus could have heard that Jesus was coming down the road, and as the crowd filled in ahead of him, he could say, well, I guess I just won't see Jesus then. I guess I'll just, I'll just miss that. I'm short, everyone else can see Jesus but me. But here's where we see the hero emerge. Instead of clinging to a stumbling block, he makes that stumbling block a stepping stone. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. And now, where before he couldn't see Jesus at all, he's positioned in a way that he can now see Jesus better than anyone. Desperation does that makes it possible for us to see Jesus better than anyone. And I think, but I think I would admit that for much of my life, I haven't really been that desperate for God. I've been grateful to God. I've been faithful to God. I've been dedicated to God. But Jesus is inviting us to something more. Like Zacchaeus, would we be desperate? Zacchaeus, in his desperation, he adapted. He did something different. He changed his routine because he knew that Jesus was coming his way. It's true for him. Would it be true for us? Jesus is coming your way amidst your limitations, amidst your history, amidst your brokenness. Jesus is still coming your way. And the response so beautifully illustrated in this story is this. If something stands between you and your ability to see Jesus, find a tree. Find a solution. Find a way. Maybe it's doing the work to beat that addiction. Maybe it's, it's, it's going to a counselor to work through that history. Maybe it's, it's taking the steps to get out of debt. Whatever the problem is, whatever the limitation is, find a tree. I remember when we lived in Redmond, every year they, they, they do the Christmas 
parade. It's a parade that's at night. The other parades are always in the daytime, but this parade is at night because everything is to be lit up with Christmas tree lights. And, um, and so, so floats would go by, you'd be standing there, and you can only see just a couple of floats deep because it's dark, right? And so you just see one or two floats coming ahead of you, but hundreds will go by through that time. Most of them are tractors and four-wheelers, but the, you know, that's, that's just a Redmond parade for you. But there's this time that'll happen after hundreds of these floats have gone by, you'll start to see it. One by one, you'll see kids being lifted onto their parents' shoulders. It's almost like a wave you see developing farther down, and then it comes closer to you. And you realize the reason for that is the kids want to see because Santa is coming. And, and Santa uh, is always usually riding in the boom of a utility truck. <laughs> He's up high. So you can see him, but the kids don't want to miss Santa. So they say, Mom, Dad, kid, could I get on your shoulders? I want to see Santa. They're desperate to see Santa. So the parents would do the work to make that possible. Nothing would keep them from that. Here's the question. What are we allowing to keep us from the invitation of Christ? What is it that we're allowing to be the thing that is keeping us from the invitation of Christ? Whatever it is, we are called to ruthlessly eliminate that thing. Wherever we are, whatever it is, climb a tree. Do something different. If you've never prayed, pray. If you've never read God's word, read it. If you've never fasted, fast, step out, climb a tree, do something different because we will continue to get the same results as long as we do the same things. Whatever you have to do to see Jesus, do it today. Because when we see Jesus, everything changes. So gain a new view because we're changed through a new perspective. That's the first thing. Here's the second. We are changed through a new partnership. Let's continue the passage. Luke 19, starting verse 5. Big voices go. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner Jesus sees Zacchaeus and makes him this amazing offer. I must stay at your house today. I love that phrasing. I must stay with you. How could I not stay with you? Why was it like that? Well, it's safe to say Zacchaeus showed Jesus a very genuine desire. Nothing will keep me from you, Jesus. I'm desperate for you. His response showed that he really wanted this above everything else. He desired to respond to the presence of Jesus more than anything. And that's important for this reason. We know God's love is tied to who God is, but experiencing that love is tied to who we are. We know that relationships are always two-way streets, aren't they? And so we get to respond. 
at times I've said to Paula, maybe I'm leaving or or something, and I've said, uh, Paula, I love you. Now, Paula doesn't hear in in one ear, and so I'm assuming this is why, but I would say, Paula, I love you, and, and there'd be no response. So I, I'm, I'm figuring she must not have heard me. So it's, you know, Paula, I love you. Because you can't just leave the I love you out there hanging. It's got to be responded to, you know, at least with a, hey, thanks. But hopefully it's with a, I love you too. You know, you, got, you can't just leave it hanging out there. It's like a high five that's un, unfived, unslapped. You just can't leave me hanging with the I love you out there. But that happens sometimes. It just it can become very awkward if it's just out there and there's no response. Just like a high five that's unslapped, it's, it's awkward. Question is, how often is that true between us and God? God is over and over saying, I love you. Uh, God is over and over saying, high five, but we're not responding. This is the tension between God finding us and our willingness to be found. We see it in the book of Hebrews. We're told God rewards those who earnestly seek him. In the book of Jeremiah, God says you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. In the book of Matthew, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Relationship with God is not just a passive understanding. It's an active partnership saying, God, I want to be found. That's what we see here. Jesus sees Zacchaeus seeking him, and Jesus' response is to say, I'm coming to your house for dinner. I'm going to your place. Suddenly, Zacchaeus has a new friend, and that's a big deal because everybody hated Zacchaeus. Everybody. As a tax collector, he was seen as the ultimate sellout to Rome, a betrayer of his people. His sin was so specific that it is often listed separately in Scripture. You'll see this phrase all the time, that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. His sin was his identity. It was how he was known. And that tax collector was now with the rabbi having dinner at his house. The guy that nobody liked is now at the popular kid's table. How did that happen? It happened because Jesus refuses to let anything keep him from those who are willing to be found. Jesus is showing us that even a person whose identity is defined by their sin is still able to meet God in friendship at the table, that they are not disqualified from relationship with God. Jesus is revealing that the things we often see as barriers to God's love can become yet another opportunity for God's love. And maybe this happened for Zacchaeus because more than just about anyone else, he understood the value of a good partnership. And here's what I mean. Zacchaeus knew he wasn't enough. Zacchaeus knew he wasn't godly. Zacchaeus knew he wasn't whole. He was told that every day of his life. But something in him knew that the presence of Jesus could change all of that. 
And so I love how Jesus does this. Jesus offers Zacchaeus relationship, meaning let's go have dinner, and that relationship leads to redemption. We usually reverse that, don't we, right? In, in, in our way with God. We, we, we first get redeemed by God and then we can have relationship. But here we see Jesus first offer relationship. Let's go have dinner. And then we see redemption. First friendship, then forgiveness. And that feels weird to us. It seems like we should, be, we should get all cleaned up first, right? With God. And, and then we can take a seat at God's table. But that's not what happened here. that's the invitation. It's it's the fullness, the partnership. Jesus says, come, I will have dinner with you. I want to sit with you at the table. I want to share life with you. But there's this difficulty in that, in that our lives, they don't seem clean enough for that. I can't have Jesus at my place for dinner. My life is too messy. No, I I can't have that. What, What if Jesus sits on my couch? Ever look under your couch cushions? Oh, scary under there. The stuff you find when you lift the couch cushions, just don't do it. It's scary. You find like, like a spoon that had peanut butter on it at one time. You, you'll find three dirty socks. None of them match each other. We don't know where any of the matches are. You'll find pens. You'll find popcorn. You'll find potpourri. You'll, you'll, you'll find the hamster you lost last week. Oh, there he is. Look at that. What if Jesus looks under the couch cushions of my life? I'm here to guarantee you Jesus does exactly that. And when we're surprised by what we find there, Jesus never is. Jesus always knew what was under those cushions. But here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus is is a good friend, and good friends don't care about what's under the couch cushions. In fact, good friends help you clean up under there. Good friends are the ones, you know them, they're the ones that stay and do the dishes with you after the party's over. They they get the vacuum, they they lift the cushions, they get the popcorn out, they find the matches to the socks, they clean off the, the peanut butter spoon, they dust off the hamster and set him free. Jesus does all of that and more in my life because Jesus wants to be the friend that is closer even to us than a brother or a sister. Messy houses don't scare Jesus, nor do messy lives. In fact, Jesus is in the business of meeting us in that mess. And he's asking you, can I come to your house for dinner? All you have to do is say yes, because we are changed through a new partnership. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We are changed through a new priority. Finish out the passage, Luke 19, starting verse 8. Go. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Zacchaeus stands at the table and makes this incredible declaration. Half of my possessions right now I'm given to the poor, and if I cheated you, I'm going to give you four times that amount to make things right. 
the dining table just became the table of transformation. Everything is different. It became ground zero for a miracle. A tax collector just gave money back. <laughs> that is not typical. I mean, you ever get a letter from the IRS with a check and, and it said, we sent this refund to you because we just felt bad. We just felt bad about taking the money. So we just sent you this refund. We just felt bad about it. It just didn't seem right. So we sent you this, this money. No, that's a rare thing. That happened because Zacchaeus discovered a very simple and profound truth, and it's this. When I allow Jesus to come into my house, he has the ability to change my heart, to change my motives, to change what matters to me, to bring life to the places in me that are dead. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Before Jesus was in his house, he was just a cheater. He just used to exploit people all the time. But he let Jesus into his house. He let Jesus join him at the table. And the result was transformation. When we really let Jesus come into our lives, a process of transformation begins. That I, I'm not the same. I, I, I speak differently. I, I think differently. I live differently. I see changes maybe in my temper or in my relationships or in how I view others or in how I approach money or in how I approach sex. It all gets changed at the table with Jesus. And it's not always overnight. Some of it is a process, but the truth is this. The more time I spend with Jesus at the table, the more who Jesus is comes out of me. Personal transformation is always a mark of time spent with God at the table. And eventually here, a new priority emerges. And here's the priority for Zacchaeus. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. There was a worldview shift that took place in his life. His dealt with money. Realizing, he realized I'm not to be a consumer of God's resource. Instead, I'm supposed to be a conduit of God's resource. Now, it might be something like that for you when you sit with Jesus at the table, or it might be something else. But all of it came from the table. The priorities changed at the table, and that's the promise for us. We are told that when we seek God's kingdom first, that everything else will be added to us. The problem for us is that we can easily seek a lot of other things first that are not God's kingdom. And that has a way of stunting our growth. You know, I go to a, a boot camp oriented gym. And it's good for me because when I was on my own, just going to a gym and, and training myself, I was a very gracious trainer to myself. I was a very compassionate and understanding trainer to myself. And I would say to myself, you know, I really don't like doing burpees. I really don't want to do burpees. And as trainer self, I would say, you know what? You shouldn't have to do burpees. You're fine. You're good. You don't need to do burpees. You're fine. And I would say, I, 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 don't, I don't want to do pull-ups today. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, you shouldn't have to do that. And so trainer me would say, oh, you're, you're good. Take a break. Have an ice cream. It'll be good. Take it easy. But now I have a trainer who is not me. 
And I get there, and, and he says, I want you to do burpees. And I say, I don't like to do burpees. And my trainer says, I don't care. <laughs> and so I do them. Because in that moment, I allow the trainer's voice to be greater than my own. He says, I want you to do box jumps. I said, I don't like doing box jumps. He says, do them anyway. And I do them. Because in that moment, I allow my trainer's voice to be greater than my own. When he says, do pull-ups, I say, I don't like doing pull-ups, but I, but I do them. Why? Because in that moment, I allow my trainer's voice to be greater than my own. Walking with Jesus is to say in every moment, Jesus, I want your voice to be greater than my own. I seek your kingdom first. The road of faith is built. Every time I say to God, your will, not my will, your way, not my way, that is faith. Believing that as I respond to God in this unseen moment of decision, that the result will be a lasting and visible expression of God's plan. But for that to happen, I have to put God first. I have to put his voice first, priority. Because we are changed through a new priority. I'll wrap up with this. There's a famous missionary to China. His name is Hudson Taylor. And he was on a sailing vessel at one point in his life, and it, near, it neared a, a very narrow channel. And uh, as it was nearing this, this channel, there was a knock on his stateroom door. He was just in his room. And he opened it, and there, to his surprise, stood the captain of the ship. The captain said, Mr. Taylor, uh, we have no wind right now, and we are drifting towards an island where the inhabitants are cannibals. It's a bad situation. We do not want to run aground there on this island. Uh, we're all a, a little bit unnerved by this. Hudson Taylor asked, well, what, what can I do to help? Well, the captain said, I, I understand that you believe in God. Hudson Taylor said, yes, I, I do believe in God. Captain said, well, I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, Hudson Taylor said. I will absolutely pray for wind, but you must first set the sail. The captain said, well, that's, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze out. You don't set the sail when there's no wind out. The sailors will think I'm crazy. No, I can't, I can't set the sail. Oh, you just got to pray for wind, and then when the wind comes, we'll, we'll put up the sail. And Hudson Taylor said, I'm sorry. If you don't set the sail, I won't pray for wind. And finally, because of Taylor's insistence, the captain agreed. And much to the confusion of the crew, they set the sail amidst no wind. But the moment the sail was up, it became filled with a steady breeze, moving them safely and swiftly forward to safety. Faith is not just about asking for wind. It's about setting our sail before the wind comes. 
Zacchaeus shows us that. He's, he, in some way, said, I will act in accordance with my belief. And for him, it was saying, you know, I'm going to act today knowing that God is my provider, that God is my savior, and his actions that day reflected that truth. Zacchaeus gained a new perspective and experienced a powerful partnership and made God his first priority. He set his sail there and allowed Jesus to bring about a wind of change. Will we do the same? There is a challenge for each of us in this. Will we settle to just stay where we are? Or will we accept the invitation of Jesus to join him at the table of transformation? And if we would say yes, we will watch Jesus surprise us with his guidance, his friendship, and his life. With that, let's pray. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com, or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.